in early February, so a lot of you guys, uh, I, I've met a few people here who are here for the first time or haven't been here in a while. Uh, we kicked off a series in early February on 2 Timothy. Uh, and today is the last of that series, but the good news for you is I'm going to do an overview so you'll feel like, you know, I haven't been here for the last eight weeks, but I got it all today. So uh, obviously I'm not going to preach that long, but still. But when I started, I was the one who started the series, I asked the question, what would you write if you knew it would be the very last thing you ever wrote? And, and if you missed last Sunday, uh, or any of these, uh, Second Timothy was the last thing that Paul, the writer, ever composed. Uh, in fact, he was in prison when he wrote it. And so, what would you write? If you knew it would be the very last thing you wrote, what would you write? Uh, would you reminisce a bit? Would you let loved ones know, oh, I'm so proud of you? Or would you warn people about the dangerous times in which we live? What would, what would you write? Would you give people life advice? If you can do one thing in life, this is it. Or would you mention things you would rather not mention, but you feel this need to be transparent? You know, talk about the elephant in the room you've never talked about. Maybe for those who follow Jesus, you would feel it necessary and you would want to talk about your faith in Jesus and the comfort you find there. You know, it's really hard to know, isn't it? What would you write if it were your last thing you could ever say? What would you say? And what we have seen in 2 Timothy is Paul has said all of those things that I just listed, and then some. He mentions all of those things and then some. The last writing of the Apostle Paul encourages his young disciple Timothy to be strong in the faith. That the faith that was passed along to him, not just from Paul, but from his grandmother and from his mother. And he encourages him, don't get involved in useless arguments. Don't get involved in stuff that doesn't matter. Make the main thing the main thing. And he encourages him, stand up for those people, against those people who are spreading lies, who are or false teachers and, and spreading rumors, people who want you to preach what their itching ears want to hear. And above all else, Paul encourages him to trust God, to trust God's grace, because it's going to get lonely, it's going to get intense, and you need to trust God. And what I said when I first started was it's kind of like a Netflix series. It just kind of, we're just going through these each episode each week. It's, it's been kind of like that. And it's fascinating. It has been fascinating. And so today we finish this uh, eight-part series. We finish this today. And each week we had someone else other than me, a couple of times it was me, standing up here and giving some piece of Second Timothy to us. Each week a different person did that, including me as well. I thought maybe it would be helpful to rewind our Netflix series a little bit, go back a bit, and get little glimpses, just a minute or two glimpse-type things of, of what some of those people said, some of the nuggets, some of the gold nuggets they gave us. And then I thought, why don't we hear from you as well, not just the people who stood up here, but I've invited some people to come share as well right here this morning. 
And so let's watch some of these video highlights. And we'll start with Dwight, who uh, showed us in chapter 1, verse 6, that Paul was encouraging Timothy to fan the flame of the gift that God had given him. And Dwight specifically encouraged us to use our gifts. And he specifically said, we've got to fan that flame of the gift in the children and the youth as well. So let's look at that clip from Dwight. Says, you have wonderful gifts, so much so that you are set apart. And I and the elders of the church brought you forward into leadership. We see in you gifts of leadership. And we see the spiritual gifts the church now needs. Continue to use those gifts. Fan the flame of the gifts that God has uniquely placed in you. <coughs> Timothy, remember your calling. We see in you a unique calling, and we know that you are empowered with all that you need. You have the power, love, and self-discipline through the Holy Spirit. As Paul does for Timothy, how can we as a church nurture the unique gifts and callings of our kids and teens. How can we identify the spiritual gifts God has put in every single child for the edification and building of his kingdom? How can we call them forward and to send them out to live their calling, reminding them that the Spirit empowers them with power, love, and self-discipline? Uh, I spoke the following week uh, from chapter 2, showing that Timothy was called to preach. This was what his job was. Paul had left him in Ephesus to preach to the people there. Uh, and so here's a highlight uh, from that uh, Sunday. Uh, and he is on mission. What's his mission? His mission is this. Take the good news of Jesus and give it to those Ephesian churches. And then they will teach it to other people who will teach it to other people as well. That's his mission. And Paul, the guy who's writing to him, uh, writes to him to encourage him and to challenge him, stay focused on your mission. Keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is, is Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Keep that the main thing. And so Timothy's been working for years on this mission, and uh, he's actually getting tired. And some things have changed. Uh, some things begin to change as the mission unfolds. So specifically, some things that have changed is some people have kind of entered the scene and tried to get Timothy off track, off mission, off the message. And so our older pastor, Paul, is coming back after a couple of years, writing our younger pastor, Timothy, and saying, stay with the message. And teach other people who can teach other people who can teach other people the message as well. All right. Uh, Elaine spoke to us next. So get to highlight all the D's today. Right. From chapter two. And an endurance that sometimes it's going to just be tough. But what is it that will give us strength during this hardship? So listen to Elaine. What gave Paul the strength to endure? Let's look once again at our passage, focusing on verse 9, but this time the second half. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why is Paul willing to endure everything? It is for the sake of the elect. In the Old Testament, the elect referred to the people of Israel, God's chosen people. 
But with the advent of Jesus Christ, the elect expands to all who put their faith in him, Jews and Gentiles alike. So all who follow Jesus by faith through grace are the sheep in God's fold, the elect. In other words, Paul tells Timothy to endure everything, not for his own sake, not for his own benefit, but for the sake of others, the elect that God has chosen, and for the sake of the gospel, God's good news centered in Jesus Christ. What's even more amazing, Paul says, is that it is not ultimately up to our efforts whether or not the elect have faith. The word of God is not bound, Paul declares in the second half of verse 9. God is at work, and although he has chosen to work through his messengers, their responsibility is not ultimately ours. That should not be our focus. God will fulfill what he sets out to do. His word is moving even when Paul is languishing in jail. His word is moving even when we don't see it. His word is moving even when we fail in our work as God's messengers. Notice that Paul's idea of endurance is very much outward-oriented. Endure everything. Endure every manner of suffering for the sake of others and for the gospel. It is this outward focus that makes Paul's teaching of endurance very different from the secular idea of endurance. The secular idea of endurance focuses on our effort. If we try hard enough, then our endurance will pay off. A quick search on Google for pictures of endurance brings up a slew of runner and exercise images. Endurance seen here through a secular lens acknowledges the need to bear with difficulty, but only because it can lead to results or glory. The emphasis is on the payoff, not the bearing under. In contrast, Paul's picture of endurance is that of a prisoner who willingly endures all the shame, the discomfort, the stress, and the pain of imprisonment, not for glories on this earth, but for eternal glory. And then uh, Dan spoke with us. He asked the question, what do we love? What do we love? And as he preached from chapter 3, we're challenged not to become complacent in loving and serving. So here's a short clip uh, from Dan. What's been going through my mind, at least, as I've been thinking about this past and these things, is that these dangers are kind of twofold. There's one, we can fall on the side of being too harsh and critical and cynical. We can also fall on the side of being too complacent and thinking everything's fine. And that might be the biggest risk for, here, for us at Emmanuel, because we have a great community, is that we become a comfortable Christian country club. And we don't really, aren't really open to God moving in powerful ways in our midst. So, so this passage reminds us that we grow in spiritual power by loving God the way he's calling us to. Looking to find a very source in him and not in the things of the world. And then finally, last week, Gray took us to chapter 4 and he showed us how Paul uh, gives guidance to Timothy. And also how he shares his own life experience. Paul shares his own life experience uh, as he sits in prison and he kind of waits his execution. I mean, can you imagine what that's like? Sitting in prison knowing that you're going to die. And so Paul shares his personal struggles of feeling lonely, his loneliness and his despair that he felt. And we can see how he moves from feeling abandoned to praising God. And that he's not alone. He doesn't feel alone. And so Gray shows us that 
Paul sees the Lord by his side throughout all the despair. And there's a reason for that, so that his life would be a witness, especially to the Gentiles. Let's listen to how Gray puts it. And in particular, he remembers God's presence, God's purpose, and God's protection. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. That God who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is standing by himself before Nero and the court, and he knows he is not alone because God Almighty is with him. Isn't that right? What a thing to be reminded of. And that God gave him strength and delivered him from the lion's mouth for a reason. Why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all Gentiles might hear. That was his task in life. That was his mission. Can you see how that gives meaning and purpose to what he's going through? Well, Grace stopped uh, in verse 18 of chapter 4. And so I want to just look at the last few verses together. Uh, I'm not going to really elaborate on them, but I want us to look at the very fat last few verses together uh, and, uh, and so that we can at least have seen the rest of this uh, chapter. Here starts chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. I think it's not Prisca. It's I, I could be wrong. Uh, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. And so Paul ends by asking Timothy to pass along his greetings to all these different people and friends. And then he closes with this benediction. It's a very loving benediction. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And then the letter ends. And our series has come to an end. And, and the credits kind of roll across the stage, uh, stage, the screen. And we're sitting in our lazy boy or whatever we're doing. And we're kind of comfortable, but yet we're torn. Do I just kind of turn the TV off and go to bed? Or what do I do? Do I want to talk to someone about this? How are we supposed to respond to this mini-series that we've called 2 Timothy. And the letter of 2 Timothy shows that Paul's life was marked by a lot of challenge and struggle. And, and it was this persistent <laughs> challenge and struggle. So, so what do we make of that? I've asked several people to come and share some nuggets that they picked up from this past this, uh, series. Uh, not a summary. We're not doing a summary necessarily, but just nuggets. Uh, so I've asked Aaron and Isabel and Fred uh, to come in that order. And so uh, let me find my microphone and we'll start with Aaron and then Isabel and then Fred. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is uh, Aaron. I got to say, I'm, I'm generally a pretty nervous person talking in front of a bunch of people. So I'm kind of nervous talking in front of like one or two people. So uh, <laughs> talking in front of 100 people or whatever, it's a, it's a lot. But I often want to come up and share. I often think, oh, I should get up there and say something. And, and then I'm just too nervous to do it. But, but Ken uh, asked me last uh, weekend if I would be willing to do it. And I thought, you know, I should just go for it. Just say I'm just going to do it. And I can't back out at that point. So I'm... Uh, so, yeah, so I was trying to think, like, what would I talk about, right? And then 
uh, I thought about when Gray uh, gave his message on loneliness. I thought that's something I could really uh, relate to and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, I, I can't say like I'm some super lonely person. I have an amazing family, of course, and we're very close. We do everything together. <sighs> Sorry. Um, so in general, you know, I mean, I'm surrounded by loving, wonderful people and stuff like that, but, but I do feel lonely a lot of the time. Um, I find it very hard to relate to a lot of people, uh, very, very misunderstood. I have a lot of anxiety and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, Grace's message just really kind of spoke to me. And the person in my life, who, of course, was, um, you know, such a big part of my life for so long and who I could relate to a lot, who really shared a kind of perspective on the world with me um, and like a sense of humor and all this stuff, of course, was my dad, right? So uh, as many of you know him uh, from uh, years past and stuff like that, and then he uh, passed away, of course, four years ago. So uh, still like just a super emotional <laughs> kind of thing, right? But... Um, so, you know, I was thinking about that and stuff and how can I relate this to, you know, my experience here and stuff of like that. And so my dad passed away and it was in March and about a month later it was Easter. And um, I should, you know, preface all this by saying that I came here to UCC when I was, you know, in a different building and stuff of like that when I was much younger. It's like a teenager and stuff of like that. And, uh, and then I stopped coming and some of my parents kept coming and stuff of like that, but I didn't come for many, many years. And... Uh, and then, you know, some years ago, Penny and I and my wife we were talking about going again, going, getting into a church and trying to find one to go to. And, uh, and of course, my dad passed away. We were here for the funeral and stuff like that. And afterwards, um, but a month later, you know, it's Easter. And I, we do the whole, like, decorating the cross with flowers and stuff like that, right? And then um, so our friend uh, Patricia had offered my mom to take the cross home with the flowers. It's a nice little gesture. But my mom was in Newfoundland visiting family at the time, so she said, well, maybe Marin and Penny would like to have it. So I was like, oh, okay, so very sweet. So I wrote Patricia an email and said, well, thank you so much. That, you know, it was very nice. Should we just, like, come after the service and, uh, you know, come pick it up and stuff like that? And she said, you could do that. Or if you want, you can, you're welcome to come to the service. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, we can try it out, I guess. And we came, and of course, we've come like every Sunday since. So, um, uh, I mean, everybody's just, uh, <laughs> everybody's just so, so sweet and friendly. So many people have come up to me, of course, and talked about Dad, um, including Dan, of course. Dan was, you know, so lovely, and just so many people. Ken, I mean, tons, tons of people have always been so welcoming here. And so I think about that whole idea of, you know, um, experiencing a sense of loneliness, but also, uh, like, you know, if like God closes one door and he opens another, right? So, uh, feeling very welcome here. Uh, I feel like a sense of, um, of, like, peace, I think, when I come here and so that. So, that's really quite special. And now, Dwight, back in the fall, um, invited Penny and I to join this small group thing that we're part of with several families. And that kind of takes it to a whole other level as well, right? Creating, you know, deepening our sense of, of community. And uh, and I really enjoy that as well, right? I mean, the, you know, we I share this kind of story uh, among that group as well. And uh, there's just something really kind of powerful about that kind of connection. So, uh, yeah. So for me, this this series was, was full of lots of great messages. But that, that one that Gray gave on, on loneliness really was the one that kind of, you know, made it all come together for me. So...
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Isabel. And um, actually, just now, haven't we got a wonderful group of teachers here? I mean, it's just amazing to see them all and, and uh, what, what we've learned this time. Anyway, my first thing, I have two things that are, are um, significant about this. The first thing is how real the idea of the letters came to me this time. Um, letter writing has sort of gone the, age, the way of the dinosaur, it seems. And, and, uh, but, but early in, um, when I was a young adult, that was the way we communicated all the time. And the letters that I received and that like Bruce wrote to me when we were apart, when we were um, just dating, and my letters my mom wrote to me and, and Bruce's sister and I wrote every week to each other when she lived up north. And they were just like this. They were just like, um, you know, talking about our friends, talking about our family, talking about our hopes, talking about the things that were upsetting us, the, the worries that we had. And um, they were, it was, this is, it just became very real to me. The letters are very down to earth. What, the part about forgetting your coat, I mean, who hasn't asked people to do that too, you know? It just really brought it, um, that, that was uh, one of the things I got, just the whole reality of the thing. Uh, so that was the first thing. And then the other thing was, I have been really thinking about the leadership in the world and things that are going on in the world. This has been for the past couple months. And um, just, it's quite upsetting with some of the stuff that's going on. And, um, and uh, right through history, from Herod to Hitler to people today, they just don't seem to um, have love in their heart. And... Um, uh, Dan, so Dan was speaking about what do you love. He spoke about that, and he also spoke about the scripture is the truth. And those were two things that grabbed at me. And I thought, the, the part, part of the problem with leadership is that it's, they, have, they, they have love of power, and they're making decisions based on what they want to do to show control. And um, if they turned it around instead to the power of love, Think of what they could accomplish. So I really appreciated the way Dan spoke about um, the things that you love for that. And when it comes to the scripture is truth, then John James stood up a couple weeks later, and he spoke about the same thing uh, 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 similarly about how things in the world are not as we would like them to be. And he quoted the scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. So those are the things that I have taken from the ser sermons this uh, time. Thanks. Those were great. Thank you, guys. Um, I wrote a response to Dan's sermon that I was going to be a psalm of the people, but we had lots of good ones. But I also was bringing in the other things that I had ruminated because we have two ears and we have two eyes. And God created us this way so that we can hear better and see better. And so when both Elaine and Ken spoke on the athlete and the farmer and the soldier, I had always read those as individuals and thought of them in terms of individuals. When both of them are speaking on it and both brought in elements of community, it just hit a little bit harder. And so that's worked itself into this uh, summary of what's going on. So this is in response to what do you love? 
As I heard the responses from others, my brain started firing. Hey, I love chocolate too. But when the bathroom scales start with a two, and my blood sugar starts with a six, maybe chocolate doesn't love me so much. If I consider what I love and can attach the label guilty pleasure, perhaps I should think more deeply on what do I love. As Marnie shared her thankfulness for the community for help with Alpha, I burned to know what God had been doing with the youth. <clears throat> this encompassed so much of what I truly love. I followed MJ out to ask if the youth would share during the Psalms of the people. I should have also been asking them individually, personally. Perhaps I still will, but I'm shy like Aaron. Um, I knew many of the community wanted to learn of them too. But maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable to, the, to ask the youth if they didn't know them. I love community. And the love for community motivates me to make a positive difference. Ken and Elaine both shared on the metaphors of soldier, athlete, and farmer. I considered these in light of community and not just as individuals. All these roles have strengths developed in community. I love learning. My tweet deck is organized in topic columns to feed this love of learning. My constant reading and yearning to build up my knowledge so that it can be applied with wisdom to help others learn passionately and infectiously for a whole lifetime. Dwight called us to have a sticky faith. I would love to have such a faith. I love sticky learning too. But Dan's message called me to think more deeply on what I was learning. Does learning serve God's purposes in my life? Or do I sometimes spend too much time at the fountains of the world that dry me out from the inside and not enough time drinking from the deeply satisfying river of God? Am I truly accepting God's forgiveness like holy water on my lips? I love seeing and hearing God at work amongst us and in his creation. This gives me a deep, deep satisfaction that feeds my faith and lifts my spirit. I love to know that the spirit is at work in me and in those around me in community. I love seeing potentials being reached and fulfilled. This means a responsibility to mentor and to set up opportunities that will let those in community discover, exercise, and develop their gifts. I love God's given gifts, and it is time for me to love God's pleasure more than guilty pleasures. Well, I want to close by asking this question. Do you want this message of 2 Timothy to impact you in any way? Do, do you study the Bible just for knowledge? Or do you actually want or even expect it to change your life? Can I challenge you to, even if it's just you begin this week, asking God, what is it you still want to teach me from 2 Timothy? I started thinking about this myself a couple of weeks ago when I started preparing this final sermon. And I kept coming back to chapter 4 where Paul shares his heart with Timothy. 
knowing that he's about to die. And essentially, Paul says, I'm going to ride off into the sunset wearing the white cowboy hat, the good guy in the story. And it's not because Paul was perfect, so he doesn't want to be misunderstood. It's not about Paul, but he is saying in his, his chapter 4, I've stayed the course. I, I stood for what is true. I didn't quit. I was strong like a triumphant runner crossing the finish line in the race. And I wondered, I thought, can I say that at the end of my life? Yeah, it's not about being perfect or, or blameless or sinless. Paul certainly wasn't. He, he was always aware of his sin when he always would talk about how he was the chief of sinners because he persecuted and killed Christians before he became a Christian. So yes, like Paul, I know that I'm a sinner. I don't have any illusions that I'm not a sinner or I didn't sin or I won't sin. But I have always wanted the main thing to be the main thing. I have wanted that. I, I, I want to stay on course. I, I want to stand for what's true. Sometimes truth gets murky at times. Remember how we talked about that? Truthiness. I want these things to be marks of my life. But most importantly, I don't want to miss out on love. I want love to win the day. I, I don't care what people say about me. If you think about the fact that four years later, Lana or Carl can't stand, uh, Aaron can't stand up here without thinking of Carl. And they, and they cry or they almost cry. What does that mean about Carl's life? Carl was about love. And I want my life to be kind of like Carl's in that sense, that four years later, people still cry when they think, not because I was a perfect person, but because I love deeply. That's what I want to be. What do you want your life to be like? What do you want to take from 2 Timothy? I heard this quote this week, and I was challenged by it, and I loved it at the same time. And so I thought I would share it with you, that we can get the Bible right. But if we get love wrong, we're wrong. <laughs> and that's something? We can get the Bible right, and we can have knowledge. But if we get love wrong, we're wrong. Jesus commanded us to love as he loved. In the Lord's Supper, he says that. This is this new covenant of love. Love like I have loved. And when I cross the finish line, and when I die, and I enter paradise or heaven, I will be rewarded generously by the Lord, the one in charge of the life that we call, the race we call life. And he'll march up to me and he'll put this gold medal, if you will, around my neck, and not because I did anything perfect, not because I had all the answers, not even because I loved well, not because I regularly read the Bible or had devotions or because I came to church every week or I figured out some way to be perfect. That's not why. I'll be able to do it because Jesus demonstrated perfect love by standing in my place. By paying the price for me. He became this mediator between me and God. And 
And he vouches for me. And that's why. That's why I will have the gold medal. And that's what love looks like. Laying down your life for someone else. So what is it? What is it you want to learn? What is your takeaway from 2 Timothy? Whether you've been with us the whole series or maybe today's your only time with us today. Maybe you want to go and read some. What is it that God is saying to you? So can I beg you, don't walk away from 2 Timothy and just forget about it. At least just spend this week, just this week, ask the question, God, what is it that you want me to have taken away from this time in 2 Timothy? And I'm going to be praying for you this week as you do. Let me start by praying right now. Father,